Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Crawley. And first off, I got to apologize for not doing a Monday show. But one of the downsides, and there aren't a lot, because there's a lot of convenience in having a home studio. But one of the downsides of having your own home studio is you don't have a generator. We don't have one here at the house. And so, unfortunately, when the power goes out, the power's out. You know, usually if you're recording in a radio studio or a commercial podcast studio, they may have generators that will kick in so you still can record the show. Not the case here, but have no fear. I am getting some new equipment that will allow me to record even when the power is out. So hopefully this is the last time I'll ever have to apologize for this situation. There'll always be something I'll have to apologize for in the future. All right, let's get into what happened on Monday. Census Bureau released the latest data on construction spending in June. And while it was positive, barely, it did miss forecasts. So total construction spending in June increased 0.1% to $1.5 trillion. That was a miss because forecasts had it increasing by 0.5%. Now, here's one of the good things about June. Uh, Total construction spending was up 8.2% when compared to June 2020. Now, the data was also somewhat better when looking at private construction that was up 0.4% for the month, and private residential construction was up 1.1% and up 29.3% year over year. But the big category, the area where we saw the most growth, and it probably should be even higher, uh, single family construction. We all know that's what's in demand. People want single family construction. That saw a 1.8% increase month over month and was up 51.9% year over year. So that's good. That's great data. I mean, you'd love to see that number be higher because there's so much demand out there for homes. They just got to build. And so 1.8%, that's good, but double digits. I mean, at least 5%. We'd like to see something around there. Uh, The area that did the worst, public construction. So it's weird. Where's all that money going in D.C., where's all that money? <laughs> we keep hearing about this record spending. It's not going to construction. Public construction fell 1.2% from May and was down 7.5% year over year. So single-family construction is up almost 10% when compared to where we were in January. So the number is growing, but slowly. So the supply is not even coming close to keeping up with demand. So... The slowing that we have been seeing and is being reported in the housing market, if you talk to anybody, is really a result of demand dropping off. People, as we've talked about before, are saying, I just I can't I can't deal with the insanity. So I'm just pulling back. It's not coming from the supply side. Uh, Well, it is, I should say, from people maybe listing, but it's not coming from new construction. Now, hopefully, as some of the inflationary pressures ease on commodities that will incentivize builders to start picking this number back up because we do need a lot more supply. Even if things cool off, as every report has said, we are still anywhere from two to four million homes underbuilt. So yes, glad to see that number in positive territory, but it needs to be more. 
And one of the ways that can happen is we're seeing that with lumber. You know, we've seen some commodity prices fall. The Fed is very confident that some of these um, inflation numbers, these prices are going to at least drop, maybe not return to where we were a year ago, but they will drop. And maybe that will get some of this uh, new construction moving. Hopefully we'll see if that happens. Now, here's some good news. We've talked a lot, especially this week. This is a big week because we have, or I should say on Sunday, to kick off the week, we had the eviction ban fall off. So the administration did not renew the eviction ban. There's a lot of concern about that. We are going to talk about a Wall Street Journal piece that focused on the South and said the South could be the hardest hit. But I want to look at total loans and forbearance. This is the weekly number that we get from the Mortgage Bankers Association. And for the 22nd week in a row, that number has declined. Now, this decline almost doesn't count. I mean, it's, it's, it fell one basis point. So, I mean, that's like within the probably margin of error. Uh, and statistically insignificant, but it did fall. Officially, it fell one basis point to 3.47% for the week ending July 25th, which they now estimate 1.74 million homeowners are now in forbearance plans. So we're still moving in the right direction. The more people who are getting out of forbearance, that is what we want to be seeing. Um, the Mortgage Bankers Association Senior Vice President Mike Frantantoni said it was still trending in the right direction, but unfortunately it was not all good news. Saying in a statement, quote, while the overall number of loans and forbearance has changed little in recent weeks, forbearance reentries have increased, reaching 7.2%. Recent economic data continues to show improvements, but it's clear many homeowners in forbearance still need the relief that is being provided. Just to give you an idea of how much higher that 7.2% is, forbearance reentries were slightly above 2% at the start of the year. And they were there for a while, but we have seen a lot more reentries. I mean, that's triple, almost quadruple where we were to start the year. So, yes, we're still moving in the right direction. But we still have a lot of people who need these forbearance programs. And so the big question is now what happens now that the federal eviction moratorium has gone away? And Will Parker over at the Wall Street Journal writes that tenants in the South could be the hardest hit. Now, why is that? Parker argues that the southern states have laws that give landlords more power than in other states like up north. For example, in Mississippi, he writes, tenants can lose their eviction case in court and be removed on the same day from their home, that is. In Arkansas, landlords can pursue criminal charges for tenants who don't pay their rent. Now, the eviction ban is also coinciding with drastic rent hikes. Parker writes that rent increases in cities like Charlotte, North Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida, and Memphis, Tennessee have outpaced the rest of the country. And this is, I think, kind of an important note that Parker makes in this journal piece. The U.S. Treasury reported that only $3 billion out of $46.8 billion in federal rent assistance has actually been spent. And we've talked about this before. A couple, I think one of the earlier podcasts, or I know it was in one of the emails uh, or one of the newsletters. The reason why that is is because in order for a landlord, because let's, you know, we, we always look at it from the tenant side, which I understand, but people always 
act as if landlords are these, you know, big giant Wall Street corporations. And they're just not. There are a lot of landlords out there that are small, basically independent businesses, and they can't afford. And we, we've read the horror stories. The Washington Post had a piece a couple of weeks ago about the horror stories of these landlords who aren't getting any money. They're going to get foreclosed on because the property they own, they can't afford that payment without the rent coming in. And so they're going to get foreclosed on. They can't get the people to pay their rent. And one of the biggest problems is with this program is the tenant needs to be the one that initiates the federal assistance. And a lot of times when you think about it, the tenants who are the worst, the ones who aren't making like any payments whatsoever, who need it the most are probably ducking and avoiding their landlords. And the thing is they need to be the one in communication the most. And so I think that's why you're seeing such a small amount of that money being spent. I mean, 3 billion out of 46 billion. And that's a win-win for everyone. That's a win for the tenants. That's a win for the landlords because no one's a winner in this. The tenants aren't a winner. The landlords aren't winners. That money, though, going to both of them is a winner for both. And so it's very unfortunate that this money was was set aside for this program to help both tenants and landlords, and it's not being used. Now, there is more to the story. The White House is under fire from the more left side of the Democratic Party for letting the eviction moratorium expire. Now, the White House has said, listen, we lack the legal authority to order an extension. And they also are putting some of the blame on state and local governments, excuse me, for the slow distribution of rental aid that's already been approved by Congress, which is true. I mean, three billion. But a lot of that, like I said, could be the tenants just not being in communication with their landlords and the governments. Now, in order to fix this, the New York Times is reporting that the Biden administration has directed federal agencies to consider targeted extensions for tenants and federally subsidized housing. They've also asked state judges to slow walk eviction proceedings and have called for a review of problems that have slowed the flow of aid. Now, we've answered that last part, I think, many times. Once again, when the tenant is supposed to be the one initiating it and they're the ones least likely to do so, that could be one of the major problems. But there's no doubt that this is far from over. And we're also not going to see a wave of you know foreclosures like everyone was worried about happening. Even if we had a million foreclosures, it's not all going to happen at once. There are going to be some states that are acting differently. And I also like that they sort of come at it from the perspective of, oh, the South is you know horrible for tenants. When really all the South is doing is trying to also help landlords. And so what we need, and I think that's the way we need to approach this, tenants need to be helped and landlords need to be helped. And that's why that program, it's very unfortunate that only three of the 46 billion has been spent because both tenants and landlords could really benefit from that. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you here on Wednesday. Not a lot is happening today. There is not a lot of data being released today. I think the only thing I saw of importance was total vehicle sales, which doesn't really have much of an impact on housing. But that was it. There's like, this is one of those days where there's just really nothing going on. So who knows what we'll be talking about on Wednesday's podcast. But tune in. We'll be here. Hopefully you'll be here as well. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.